John 1, 1, if you're there with me in your Bible, simply say amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It gives a little parenthetical statement here in verse 15, just to kind of give understanding to the reader. And he says this, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. The main point of today's sermon is simply this. God, in the person of Jesus, came so that you may have eternal life. If you're taking notes, write this down. Main point of the text, main point of the sermon. God, in the person of Jesus, came so that you may have eternal life. When we begin to think about John as a whole, and I personally believe, or my opinion, that John, John is one of my favorite books of the Bible, if not my favorite book of the Bible, largely because of how artistically it is written, how intentionally it is written by John to perfectly weave everything together in order to show and point to his purpose that Jesus is God and in him is eternal life so that we might believe. One theologian said, hey, if God didn't inspire God of the Bible that we worship, Jesus, didn't inspire John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18, I will worship whoever did. And the point he was making is he understands how beautiful this text is as it deals with just unpacking um, exhaustively the truth of the gospel, but also in detail to point out some deep theological truths and summarizing it in simply this, God in the person of Jesus came so that you may have eternal life. You know, when we begin to think about this series, you know, we've entitled this series and calling it Encountering Jesus because we want, as we walk through this, to see that Christ has come so that you can encounter him and that encounter would produce in you eternal life. Produce in you eternal life. But let's unpack certain parts of these phrases. Three truths which are really going to unpack the main point. The first truth that I want us to look at is simply this. Jesus is God. As John begins to write this, he makes it definitively clear that Jesus is God. That Jesus is not um, some just prophet only or teacher only, but he's, he is God himself. And he says it very poetically, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word here is pointing to Jesus. 
Now, when we get to think about word, what do words do? They communicate. That's precisely what words do. They, whether it's written words, whether it's spoken words, words communicate. And so there's a number of reasons, but one of the primary reasons I believe John uses um, the word as the descriptor for Jesus is largely because of verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he, talking about Jesus, the word, has made him known. He calls him the word because Jesus is revealing God to us. And the only person who can reveal himself to be God or reveal God to us is God himself. We've said this statement before, but let me say it again. The object of your knowledge determines how you know that object. The thing or the person in which you know, want to know and have a relationship with determines whether you have that relationship. I always give the example of my wife here. I can see my wife before ever meeting her. I can tell you her hair color. I can tell you a little bit about her. I can tell you her height. But I can't have a relationship with her unless what? She, the person, my wife, chooses to reveal herself to allow her to have a relationship with me. Well, the same is true. Only God can God reveals himself so that we can have a relationship with him. And so if Jesus is the one who is communicating God to us, then he the argument isn't that he is in fact God. In the beginning was the words. The importance of calling him word is because he is revealing God and thus only God can reveal himself. But in the beginning was the word, right? So we have Jesus being talked about as the word. The word was with God in the beginning. So what's he saying here is that he was with God in the beginning. We're going to go on to see that he created all things. All right, well, God is the only one who is in the beginning of all time. And if Jesus is there with him in the beginning of all time, okay, that's interesting. He's distinguishing him from the Father, which God, in, in a lot of conversations, especially in New Testament uh, texts, when it talks about God and Jesus, um, it's often God is referred to as the Father in the Trinity. So you have Jesus and the Father distinct from one another because he was with him. They were not necessarily one and the same in the sense of persons, but they were with each other. So equally as the Father was in the beginning and created all things, so was Jesus in the beginning and created all things. But he wasn't just in with God, in, with the Father in a um, kind of secondary way, but the text goes on to say, and the Word was God. The Word was um, transcendent. The Word was the one in the same way that God is above all things, so was Jesus. And so it's a clear description of simply saying that Jesus is God. And if the phrasing in of itself is not enough to speak to the deity of Jesus, to recognize that Jesus is God, um, verse 2 goes on, he was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3 and 4, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke all things into existence, and then there was life, there was light in all of creation. John is making it very clear that Jesus was there. And it's, it's actually very interesting that John, I think, is very much alluding to Genesis 1 here, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. He's using the intentional language to communicate that his gospel is starting in such a way to give a lineage back to Jesus as God. Now, let me defend that for a second. When we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those gospels give a lineage of Jesus back to different places. 
Mark gives it uh, back to Adam. Matthew and Luke trace it back to uh, Jewish history and connect him to King David. And because the lineage determines his right to be the king and the Messiah of the Israelite people. But John goes, hey, I'm not going to link him back to a human race and connection. I'm linking Jesus back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is intentionally, this is, this is why when I said that theologian, and we're just looking at a couple of verses here, this is why that theologian said, hey, if Jesus and the Spirit of God didn't inspire John chapter 1, I'll worship whoever did, because he can see the, how intentional it is to link Jesus back to God, that he created everything, that there was nothing created that he didn't create, and through him all things were created. And so we must see that this person that we call Jesus is not just a prophet, is not just a good teacher, is not just a miracle worker that the God, Elohim, Yahweh used, but Jesus is in fact God in person. He is God in person. He is God made flesh. Jesus is God. And so when the main point says God in the person of Jesus is that Jesus being fully God and fully man came and dwelt with us. So God in the person of Jesus came so that you may have eternal life. It's important and it's vital at the beginning as we jump into this that John is making a very bold and very clear claim that Jesus is God. And that is so vital to the gospel message because God himself died for us. So truth number one, Jesus is God. He created all things and verse four, in him was life. Once again, allusion to Genesis chapter 1. Who is it that gave life? God himself. Jesus here, in him was life, and the light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's speaking to the fact that Jesus is not only life and creation of the physical earth back in Genesis 1, but as he's going to point throughout his gospel, Jesus is the life of eternal life in him even from this point on, because he has defeated darkness. So truth number one, Jesus is God. Second, I want to use theological language here, but I want to intentionally, because I want us to be able to understand this. Truth number two, Jesus regenerates those who believe in him. Jesus being God regenerates those who believe in him. Regenerates means takes from death to life, gives spiritual birth. We'll unpack this idea more when we get to John chapter 3. and talking about you must be born of the Spirit. You must be born again. This is where Christian gets this intentional language of being born again because we're saying that the Spirit of God, through the work of Jesus, regenerates us to give us eternal life, and he does that for those who believe in him. Look at verse 9. Now, we're not going to unpack verses 6 through 8 because it's just giving important uh, points that John the Baptist was not who we're talking about here. Because remember, uh, John, John the Baptist and the writer of the Gospel of John are two different people, so there's confusion at times. But notice, up to this point, Jesus has not been named. So just in case anybody was confused to think that John the Baptist is who he's talking about, he says in verse 6 through 8, hey, that's not who I'm talking about. Let's just be clear. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus. And so he says in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I want us to just pause for a second and just feel the weight of that. 
Jesus created everything in this world, but the world did not know him. John chapter 17, verse 3, eternal life is that you know the Father and him whom he has sent his son, Jesus Christ. To know God is to have covenant relationship with him. But there's the, here's the problem, that because of our sin, even though we've been created by God and that God has given us the breath that we have, we in our sin before we trust in Jesus do not know him. We do not worship him. We do not turn to him. That's the problem. Yet the world did not know him. More specifically, talking about Jesus, he came to his own, which we're going to see is referring to the Jewish people as we look through the Gospel of John. He came to his own, and his own people, the Jewish people, did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All right? So we have the right to become children of God. Who were what? Who were born because we're talking about birth here. Regeneration is the word that describes this action. We were regenerated or we were born not of blood, meaning this isn't something you get because of lineage. This isn't an ethnic thing that was being referred to here. You are not born because of your ethnic bloodline, nor or the will of flesh, meaning you didn't make it happen, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of mankind, but of God. You know, when we begin to think about um, this truth of regeneration, we begin to think about the work of what God does. You know, one time, and I want to give an illustration that was in the context of talking to pastors and preachers, and, what, and the context of, that was being warned against, and this is something I, I'm, I'm very careful not to do, is, but there's, some of us may have been in church traditions where a pastor can really work up in the emotions of a crowd, and then get them to do something based off that emotions and believing that they are in the process and through the, what they're doing, they're able to help people come to faith in Jesus by uh, very uh, swift uh, ways of thinking. And one of the illustrations as a, just a warning and to be careful that what, what we talk about being born again is only something that God can do. Uh, I had uh, a leader uh, describe it this way. That when we, as preachers or as pastors or people sharing the gospel, thinking that we can help someone come to faith, he said, it's like going to a cemetery and putting warmers over a grave, thinking that's going to help someone raise from the dead. Because his point was, he was like, hey, nobody's raising from the dead unless the Spirit of God just makes that happen. And if you want to see God raise someone from the dead physical, he don't need your help with some warmers on the body. Like, he doesn't need your help. And the point was, is that our job as preachers, which isn't the point of what I'm trying to make, but in the context of that illustration was our job as preachers is to be faithful to God's word. Why? Because people are not being raised to life spiritually by the will of man or the will of flesh. We don't put warmers on our spiritual bodies. We don't do anything to make this happen. But God, and this is why truth number one is so important, because Jesus is God. Because he is God, he has the authority over life and death. He is the one who breathes life into us. And because he is God, this is vital, he and he alone regenerates those who what? Believe in him. But to all who did receive him. Now, he's using receiving because the, just there in the text, he said the Jewish people did not receive him. But those who did receive him, well, what does it mean to receive him? Is it because I welcomed him into my house and allow him to eat a meal? Which, in the first century, that might have been true for people who are actually reading this. But that's not what he's saying. Receiving him doesn't necessarily mean welcoming into your home, although I would hope if Jesus was nearby, we would have done that. 
But it says to receive him is to believe in him. Those who believed in him had the right to become children of God who were born, meaning regenerated. You came from death to life spiritually, not because of any heritage or lineage, not because of the will of the flesh because you wanted it to happen or will of the man because someone else wanted it to happen, but because God, when you believed in him, brought you to life. This is a beautiful picture of what God does for us. I want to give, just before we move on, I want to give um, an example, which I will try to do this over and over again as we come to these texts. But why are we memorizing this text? Let me give an example of how John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, I believe is a summary of all the gospel of John, the entire thing. That every truth that he argues in John 1, 1 through 18, all the other passages especially leading up to John chapter 12 and 13, which is when he transitions to the final week of Jesus' life, which is largely narrative uh, and historical, more so at that point. But prior to that, he's given a lot of lessons, and he's doing so to defend John 1, 1 through 18 and the claims he makes. So let's give, let's give some examples, two examples um, out of this, that he says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But all the others who did receive him had the right to become children of God. John chapter 3 is the story of what? Jesus going and have a conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee of the Jewish people. And in contrast, in John chapter 3, with the Jewish leader, who the text at that point gives no inclination that Nicodemus believed in him, did not accept him as the Messiah, he then, in John chapter 4, goes and has a conversation with a Samaritan woman, someone who's not of the Jewish faith, and what? She receives him and has faith. So this, even in this moment where he says he came to his own people and they did not receive him, John chapter 3, Nicodemus, he then went to others who did receive him, and all who did receive him and believed in him had the right to become children of God, John chapter 4. In further contrast, we've already seen Jesus in this text talk about light and darkness, Let's add, here's the beauty of the art, our artistic writing of John, is in John chapter 3, he went to a Jewish person at night, versus in John chapter 4, he went to a non-Jewish person in the middle of the day. The imagery is intentional. The imagery is showing that Nicodemus, at night, did not accept and understand Jesus. Now, there's a lot and very good faithful arguments to believe that later on, Nicodemus comes to faith. Because Nicodemus was there at the crucifixion, was a part of that. And so I do hope and believe that Nicodemus came to faith. But in John 3 and John chapter 4, in John 3, you have, an, you have someone of the Jewish faith at dark who does not believe. And in John chapter 4, you have someone of the non-Jewish faith in the day and they believe. Do you see just even the artistry of what John 1 is saying here and how he will go to defend it? We'll unpack that more when we get to John 3 and John 4, but I want to give some examples of how John is very intentional to show that Jesus is the light of the world and all who do receive him have the right to become children of God. So truth number one, Jesus is God. And because he is God and has the ability in love, he regenerates those who believe in him which leads to truth number three, this is ultimately why Jesus came. But more specifically, Jesus became man and dwelt among mankind in order to give you eternal life. After all that's being said, look at now verse 14. 
And this word who we've been talking about, the one who was in the beginning with God, who the one who was God, the one who created all things, the one who is light, the one who has the ability and authority to give eternal life, this word then what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, when we look at John chapter, or or, excuse me, look at verse 14. This is one of the beauties of even the richness of this that we won't see in the English language. But literally, if we were to translate it overly literal in the Greek, it says that Jesus tabernacled amongst us. Jesus took on flesh and tabernacled amongst us, which would have given immediate illusion to the Jewish audience of the fact that in the Old Testament, God with man was his presence in the tabernacle. That God came and met his covenant people on earth when his spirit came in the tabernacle and tabernacled, meaning dwelt there in the tabernacle with God's people. But this is what Jesus, Jesus takes it a step further, and he takes on flesh. And it's through that means he tabernacles with us to make a covenant with us and to be with his people. I want you to get this. God, who created all things and has the authority to give life to all things, out of love for you, took on flesh and dwelt and tabernacled in order that you may have eternal life. That you may have eternal life. That you may be born again. That you may have life. This is, this is why we, we want to be very clear when we talk about the Christian faith. One of the things that I, just, that I want to make sure we get is that the Christian faith isn't just a, a set of doctrines. Meaning we do have very intentional doctrines and truths because that's what points us to make sure we're faithful to God and understand those things. But Christianity isn't just a belief system. It's literally that when we come to encounter Jesus, we come to encounter the God, he literally gives us life. He literally changes us from death to life. John chapter 3 would say, you are born again. Nicodemus is so confused by this, which I'm getting like weeks ahead of myself to John chapter 3. But Nicodemus, in that conversation, when Jesus says you must be born again, he's like, hold on a second. Like, how do I enter the mother, my mother's womb again? Like, hold on. Jesus is like, you're, you're, missing, you're missing the beauty of what I'm trying to say. But in the same way you were given physical life, that the Spirit of God gives you spiritual life. There is literally regeneration. You are born again. Life comes into you, and you are forever changed, never to die again. But that's what it means to know God. It's what it means to have your sins forgiven. It's what it means to come into relationship with him. And I want us to see that in order for that to happen, that Jesus desired for that to happen so much that he took on flesh and he dwelt with us. He didn't sit up in heaven and go, man, maybe one day they'll figure it out. But, but look instead at verse 3. All things were made through him, but everything that was made through him, nothing was made without him. I I missed something, sorry. Uh, Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. We didn't know him. We weren't going to know him. But he, I mean, got to get this. He loves you. He didn't sit up there and go, maybe they'll figure it out one day. But he knew we never would. And so what did he do? Because he loves you. 
He came and dwelt on earth so that you may have life, that I may have life. This is the gospel story. Main point of today's sermon is simply this. God, in the person of Jesus, came so that you may have eternal life. And you and I have eternal life by being born again, and we are born again through this receiving of Jesus by believing in him. And so when we talk and we, you hear me preach and you hear me say, hey, might you put your faith and trust in him? Might you, be, might you believe in him? What it is is receiving him as who he says he is, God in person, creator, to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus became man and dwelt among us so that he might give you eternal life. Beginning to wrap up, look at verse 16, and I've preached this text before, but I'll kind of end here. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. One of the arguments that John gives here that he's going to unpack, especially in John chapter 2, is that when Jesus comes, he is offering a better and greater grace than the Old Testament. We talk a lot about the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament, which is very important to do, but Jesus very much introduces a new covenant on the night that he was betrayed, which is this week, the Passover week, which we're about to take the Lord's Supper in uh, commemoration of that. He says, this is my blood, which is a new covenant. Jesus is introducing a new covenant, a covenant in which your sins are forever forgiven, that the, he has saved the best for last. See, there's a covenant with God and his people in the Old Testament, which any covenant with God, I'm grateful for. So the covenants in the Old Testament were not bad covenants. They were great covenants. But Jesus is making it clear that, hey, Moses gave us a covenant that was great, but Jesus is introducing even a better covenant, an eternal covenant, a covenant that will offer you eternal life in a way that no one else can. Why? Because Jesus is God. The fact that Jesus is God is important. Let me give an, once again, illustration. I'm alluding to things. But in John chapter 2, we see the story of Jesus changing water to wine. It's his first miracle. And we look at that, and let, that's a miracle, right? Water to wine. That's a, that's a crazy, awesome miracle. Let's just focus on that in and of itself. But a lot of times, I think we miss what that's saying in the greater context of John. And what it's saying in the greater context of John is what the master of the feast says at the end. Look at John chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus turned water to wine, and he took the wine to the master. Someone took the wine to the master, and he says this. The master over the party, over the wedding, says this. Everyone serves the good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Why? Because they're a little tipsy, and they can't tell the difference, right? So they give them the poor stuff at the end. That's what it is. He says, but so they give you the good wine while you can taste it and you can really understand. But then when you're a little tipsy, then we're going to give you the stuff that you can't really tell isn't as good. He says, but you have kept the good wine until now. When we look at the miracle of water to wine, we see the miracle of itself. But why would John include that statement? Because what he's saying is Jesus in that first miracle is showing I'm the good wine that has been saved to the end of the wedding. 
The Old Testament was the first wine, and it was good. But I'm the better wine. I'm what? Grace upon grace. Now, we don't see this in the English language as well, but grace upon grace, it is, it, the, the upon is the Greek word anti, which can often be translated in place of. It means grace in place of grace. John is literally arguing that Jesus is ushering a new covenant, and Jesus would talk about that with the water and the wine, and what is being said there, John's saying, that through the wedding of the water to wine and the statement from the master, Jesus is making a statement as he enters in the ministry. I'm the good wine that has been saved to the end. I'm the better covenant. I'm the new covenant. I'm the last covenant. You will need no other covenant. Can't you see the beautiful imagery already as we just look at a couple of examples of how John is going to weave this entire gospel message all the way through his gospel here? But let us end with this. For from his fullness, you and I have all received grace upon grace. You have received not only grace upon grace in the continuous sense that it never ending, but what John, I think, is arguing here, grace upon grace, meaning there is a grace in Jesus that is greater than the grace of the Old Testament, and you no longer need another grace in the sense of this is the final covenant of grace that is offered because it's a covenant that lasts for all eternity. You don't need another serving of better wine. You don't need another covenant. There isn't an old New Testament and a newer Testament. Their testament means covenant. So there's not like a third testament out there that needs to become. Why? Because the final and best grace has already come in the person of Jesus. So might you believe in him and have eternal life. This is the gospel message in general, but this is what John's going to argue in a very beautiful way. God in the person of Jesus came so that you may have eternal life. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.